Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3. I want to, uh, before we get started, I just want to say a word of, of thanks. Your staff works very hard here at the church uh, each and every week. And, uh, but, but without you, without our volunteers, without those who selflessly serve uh, on our gathering times and even leading up to those, uh, we would be very shorthanded. And we had a great crowd at Easter across two services, really across three campuses and um, all of that happens, and a lot of ministry gets done because uh, you serve so well. So thank you so much for how you helped uh, make Easter uh, a reality. And uh, we ask that you continue to consider how you would serve as the days uh, and years go by and how you would help uh, work together for the glory of God by serving your church. But in Colossians chapter 3, we are finishing up a series on heaven. What I've learned in preaching is that Every topic, every sermon series, every small passage in the Bible could be preached for years, it seems. We could spend a lot more time on heaven, um, but we'll finish it out today with just the third sermon, so I encourage you to continue to read the Scripture with heaven in mind. For some of you, heaven is a fresh thought as you have uh, just buried a loved one. Uh, for, For others, it's something that maybe you've had a brush with death and you've begun to think about it even more serious. There are some that haven't given heaven a second thought because uh, we think that this is the only place that we'll ever be, and maybe we don't think that way, but we sure do live like it. But for for those of us who who have not given heaven much thought, I would encourage you to, and that's what the Scripture is going to give today, is perspective, and it's also going to give responsibility. And before we get to the perspective and responsibility, we want to understand what God's Word says about heaven. When you... Have something in your future that is better. It should change the way that you live in the present. If it does not change the way that you live in the present, then you have assigned lower value than you should, or you demonstrate little perspective of what is to come. If you leave today and you go to a Japanese restaurant and you order a double dose of that small salad and a second helping of that hot water soup, you are unaware of the reality that there is fried rice coming. (laughs) If you leave today and this evening, you have some time with your family, and maybe you take in a movie. If you go to the movie theater and you leave once the previews are over, then you devalue the main attraction. You don't realize the worth and the length of the movie. Understand, heaven is not just what is next. It is that which is better. And if it doesn't affect our current reality, then we have assigned it a low value and little perspective. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Let me say that one more time because I'm just like you and sometimes I show up on Sunday morning and thinking about the week that has been on this earth and the week that will be on this earth when the Bible says think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. It's important to note on the front that Paul describes heaven and its substances as a reality. 
Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Your translation may say this, seek those things which are above. Are indicating its existence in actuality. Heaven is for real. I could have told you that before the book by this one. As the Apostle Paul, the author that is inspired of God, instructs us to set our sights on heaven and to seek that which is above, this comes, remember this, this comes from the same Apostle Paul who according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 was he himself caught up into paradise, caught up into heaven, meaning that in some form of revelation from God that he gave to him specifically, Paul experienced what the Bible calls the third heaven. The third heaven, meaning not the skies and the clouds, not the solar system, but the top, the abode of God, the above of God, the highest heaven. So today, as we think about a place that we've never been, as we think about a study of something that for us right now is simply an idea, Paul describes it to you and me who are in the church, believers of Jesus, that this is a reality. And that is why we should think about heaven and think about that which is to come with God because it is real, it is actual. Is heaven for real? Let me ask you another question. Is your salvation for real? Is heaven for real? If you've turned from your sin and you've turned to God with a living hope that is in Christ Jesus, if you have been saved, if you've experienced forgiveness of sin, then heaven is as real as your salvation is. Heaven is as real as your forgiveness is. Heaven is not a universal hope. It is a biblical truth. So what are the realities of heaven? If Paul says that we should set our sights on the realities of heaven, what are those realities? Number one, heaven is a place with the actual presence of God. Now see, some of the things we're going to talk about today, we just can't get there. Not in our flesh we can't get there. And the Spirit of God helps us. But I want you to think about an actual place with the actual presence of God. As our passage says in Colossians, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. That's the reality of heaven. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is the imagery of a throne room. Something that we are not familiar with in this country. We're not familiar with that in our culture. But this is a king in his kingdom. And Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. This is a dedicated position of power. Where the Son of God resides at the right hand of God Almighty. You see, Jesus was not just raised from the dead. He was exalted by the Father to his right hand. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 5 verse 31 that God put him there so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. I want you to connect the dots here. God's position for Jesus is at his right hand, seated in the place of honor. Because you know what you do when you get done working? You sit down. And so he has seated as to say the mission has been accomplished. And he is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, so that the message is validated beginning with Israel and to the rest of the world, God is simply saying, I told y'all he was the way. He's right here beside me. 
Now, Jesus is at the right hand of God. And because he is, until it's that time for the Son to come again, as we've already mentioned today, until that time, the Spirit of God is working on this earth to, to draw us to a place of decision, to draw us closer to God in the realities of heaven, to draw us in, in, away from ourself and from our sin to a place of forgiveness and renewed purpose, faith and life in Jesus Christ and in his finished work. And with that new life comes a future promise and experience and actuality of heaven with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to be in the actual presence of God. So for those of you that have lost loved ones recently, while the memory of them still rings true and you miss them like crazy, you should know that to be absent from that old body of theirs, if they are in Christ, they are, make no mistake about it, in the presence of God. This is the promise of God. This is this is where, this is why you need to be saved. This is why your loved one needs to know that you are saved. So that while they are grieving on this earth, they are not grieving without hope. They are grieving with hope and with the knowledge that when you die, you will bust heaven wide open because of Jesus and what he has done for you. And by his grace through your faith, you are experiencing the presence of God. Now, you can bet on whatever you want to, but I'm going to bet on the Word of God that has stood forever and will stand. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 23 and 24. <clears throat> he said, you are from below. I am from above. Jesus said, you belong to this world. He said, I do not. That is why, now listen to this. That is why I say to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Now, that's not some kind of catchy sermon that's going to draw a crowd. That is God issuing to the people he loves a warning and the truth. That because he is from where we want to be with him, if we would like to be in the presence of God forever, the presence of a holy God then there must be a dealing with our sin. Y'all, if you came today and you saw the slide that said we're going to talk about heaven, I can talk about the intricacies of heaven and we can study that some other time. I'd rather issue you an invite to heaven to know that you can actually be in the presence of God forever because there is no thought of eternal peace. There is no thought of eternal rest. There is no thought of inheritance. There is no thought of mansions over the hilltop. There is no thought of residence above if you do not address your sin below. And Jesus up above came down to us down below so that people would not have to die forever separate because of our sin, but could live forever settled because of his salvation. How long are you going to hear this message and continue to wait to respond? How, I'm going to preach, you might as well come on back, I'll preach it again next week. The bad news of your sin and the good news of God, that God Almighty has promised heaven unto you, but you have to deal with your sin. And the greater news of that is that God has already done the work. He sent Jesus to die in your place so that you could be forgiven. You don't turn over a new leaf. And yes, it's hard even after calling upon the name of the Lord. 
Because until we go home into the actual presence of God, we're still going to be dealing with this nature. But wouldn't you rather bet on God than to just try to do your best? Y'all, I've tried to do my best before, and that doesn't get me very far, but go on right ahead. What are the realities of heaven? Heaven is a place with the actual presence of God. What are the realities of heaven? Heaven is a place with no corruption of sin. Now, I can't even get to it. Can you think of that? Heaven is a place with no corruption of sin. The eternal presence of God means the absence of sin forever. Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 says this, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself. Man, if this don't blow your mind, you need to buckle up and get ready. Yet now he has reconciled you, he, Jesus, has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Jesus has died for us so that we would stand before Almighty Holy God without a single fault, holy and blameless. I think we need to stand to sing again. Holy and blameless, without a single fault. Listen to this. In Christ, we are considered as holy as Christ. Y'all didn't hear that. In Christ, we are considered as holy as Christ. This is our biblical position for those who have placed faith in Christ and repented of sin. This is how we enter heaven. Because when God looks upon us, if we are covered by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, covered by the blood of Christ, God looks upon his Son. If we are in Christ, we are considered as holy as Christ. If you don't feel holy and blameless this morning, if you don't feel without a single fault as a living Christian, it's because we are still in this sin nature as we live on this earth. But God has also given us a new nature, and when we die, that old sin nature dies dead. And we are alive to Christ in our new nature, and that old nature ain't coming back. So there will be a fulfilled place of heaven with no corruption of sin. You know what that also means? That means temptation goes away because Satan ain't prowling around no more. And the old nature that we had is now passing away. In heaven, there will be no tempter of sin. There will be no corruption of man because the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It'll be those whose record have been cleared and God the Father Almighty, whose Son sits at His right hand. It'll be the actual presence of God. It'll be a place of no corruption of sin. There's no more Satan in the garden. There's no more old nature that continues to trip us up when we play to it. There will only be perfect position perspective, and life in the presence of God. Yesterday, we attended a, the, the first birthday of the daughter of some of our very close friends. And it was a beautiful thing, beautiful day. I'm talking like 
we, we were having donuts and cake underneath a, a garage overhang and the breeze was blowing through. You went inside and the air conditioning's on. Talking about everybody laughing is a house where love is. People enjoying each other's company. It was like something out of a Norman Rockwell picture. Man, it was good. It was a good day. But there were also calories in the donuts. Before we left, there was a snake in the pasture. And I know we can debate things about animals, but to me, the only good snakes are dead ones. <laughs> there, in a more serious way, as I thought about it, there, there were loved ones who were not present that everybody would have loved for them to have been, been there and, and seen that. There were people there whose, whose health had deteriorated. It wasn't as good as it once was. Now, none of this manifested itself, and I can't see into people's heart and minds, but I know there are people there. And when there are people gathered together, that means that even at that birthday party that was just almost perfect, that means there was the underlying presence of worry. There was doubt in hearts. There were selfish motives inside and outside. There were negative attitudes that, that may or may not even have been showed or seen. Well, gosh, that's negative, isn't it? No, no, no. The truth is, is wherever people are, all of those things are. All of that's here today. <laughs> selfish motives have already been today. Some of you have already been convicted because I said selfish motives, and before you got to your classroom and your group today, you expressed those. Some, some of you, when I talk about serving, you don't want to think about that because nobody's thanked you. And the last time you did, this happened. And, and some of you, even as I mentioned heaven today, some of you have already gone like, yeah, we'll see. I've tried this stuff on before. See, there's doubt. Anywhere, anywhere there is people, all of these things, the corruption of sin is present everywhere in the world, even on church on a Sunday. So when we try to describe and imagine heaven, it's really hard for us knowing who we are to grasp the idea of absence of sin. But we need to think about it. And we need to love it. And we need to look forward to it. And we need to practice it here in our present reality. And even though we cannot understand or grasp the reality of heaven, Revelation describes it, y'all. Listen to this. Revelation describes it as a place where God himself will be with us. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. Everything will be new. It will only be light. There will be no darkness. There will only be truth. There will be no deception. Every nation represented and unity amongst all people who are present. There will be an abundance of provision. This is all in Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation 22.3 says, No longer will there be a curse on anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And that's what it's going to be like. And if we'll take a break from this world that we love so much, by the way, the Scripture says that if we love the world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. But if we take a break from this world that we spend so much time in, we will actually understand that heaven is a place with God and without sin, and then not what we want. Now, what do we do with that 
knowing that we are not in heaven. Like, how does that help us? How do we live with that perspective, setting our sights on the realities of God? How do we live by thinking about the things of heaven and not on earth? Because Paul was aware of this and aware of this fact, which is why the thrust of Colossians chapter 3 and even the chapter before it was more about perspective and responsibility for those who are in Christ living on earth. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, since you've been raised to new life. Christian, since you have been raised to new life. And then he goes on later to say, you died to this life. Death to the old life, raising to the new. Death to the old life, raising to the new. Hopefully by now you are thinking about what we've witnessed in baptism and what it means. Baptism is a depiction of what is happening in your heart and life. You don't even get in that water until something's going on in your heart. Baptism is this, this picture, this outward display of the inward spiritual life from one who is turning from sin and turning to God by faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Baptism is the identifying picture of joining Jesus in his death for our old life and raising with Jesus in his power for the beginning of new life. Identifying with Christ, his death for our sin, raising with Christ, his resurrection for our hope. Now, y'all listen to this. One cannot call on Jesus to be saved. One cannot be baptized and then walk around the same as before. That is not salvation. That is a false conversion. So anytime you'd like to come and talk about that, let's talk about it. Anytime you want to and say, this happened when I was a kid, but right now I know what is working in my heart. Or maybe even under the sound of my voice as you heard that, that that's not real salvation. If you are living in the sin, if you are dead set living in the sin that you called on God to forgive you of, that is not real salvation. Because in baptism, you are joining Christ in his death and raising in hope to new life. And the Spirit of God, if it is a real salvation experience, comes into our life and guides us away from the old man who's dead to a new life in Christ. That's what happens in real salvation. Do you have it, man? Do you have it? Do those around you that are lost and dying, do they have it? they have real salvation? Because that's what the Scripture teaches about baptism. The Spirit of God convicts us of sin. He convinces us of God's righteousness. He guides us towards the new man. God's Spirit doesn't just reach us for salvation. We call on the Lord to be saved, and the Spirit of God goes, All right, you're good. I'll see you later. No. You know, you know what is, is holy, spiritually, wonderfully annoying? I can't do whatever I want to do. I can't. Can't do it. I can't, this afternoon, I leave y'all. Can't do what I want to do. If some of y'all walk right up to me and hit me right in the face after this is over, try not to put thoughts in your head. But what I'm going to want to do is fight you to the death. What I want to do is wrestle you to the ground. And what God's Spirit is going to lead me to do is turn the other cheek and offer forgiveness. I can't do whatever I want to do because I don't belong to myself. Since I've been saved, the Spirit of God won't let me. He's leading me away from me that's dead 
and towards new life. Now, there's been time that I have told the Spirit of God, I think you're wrong. And I'll go back to the old me and thank God that he doesn't let me go. That he continues to offer his forgiveness and he rights the ship as he turns me again, once again, towards the new man. This is the time of the year when many elementary schools have field day. You know what field day is? It's a beautiful thing. Wonderful. Field days are fun. Field days are filled with egg and spoon races and two-legged races. Is it two-legged races where you get beside somebody and you, you, know, and you walk together? It's three. There you go. Thank you all. Pretty sure I didn't, I never won that race as I <laughs> didn't even understand it. <coughs> that really still doesn't make sense to me. I guess it does if you're, t- okay, now I'm getting it. <laughs> but the best thing about field day is what? Tug of war, right? Tug of war. That's the best thing about field day. Well, let me, let me throw this at you. What if an adult had such an affection for field day? that somehow he made his way onto the field of a local elementary school to participate in tug-of-war. Let's say he he gets through all of the channels of security and he manages to be part of -of tug-of-war at the elementary field day. He's weighing at least double what he did when he was a child and he's the anchor of -of tug-of-war and they dominate the other class. And then once they dominate the other class, he, together with all of the children, begin to celebrate as he has just drugged the rival kids' faces across the grass towards victory. Everyone here should by now be thinking, that is super weird. That would be so, so weird. Why would a grown person risk security to go back in time to participate, not in a three-legged race, but to participate in tug-of-war. What's so weird about it? He's old. He's in another chapter of his life. That is what? That is his old life. He's not there anymore. So if you were counseling with this individual, which I think would be appropriate, You would say something to him like this. Man, this is your life now. You need to kind of focus on what is your adult world. You you need to focus on what is your reality now. You don't need to think so much about what used to be that you're not in anymore. Because at the very least, it's a really bad look for you. But at the very most... You're having issues with identity. Christians, the Bible is telling you your old life of selfishness and doubt and despair and flesh desire is supposed to be dead. It is supposed to be dying. And our new life is to be active to the standard and the mission and the purposes of Jesus So the perspective for living with heaven in mind is this. What I have sought God to forgive me from is what I am seeking God to lead me from. 
What I am asking God to deliver me of is what I am seeking God to rid me of. If heaven is with God and without sin, that future experience of heaven will be the driving force in my present reality, with God and without sin. This is our new focus, our new way of seeing my life in the world that I live in. This is the perspective. That is the responsibility. To what? To think about the things that are eternal. The glory of God, the holiness of God, the absence of sin, the salvation of people, the worship of God, the unity of the body, the provision of peace, wellness forever. Those are the things that we are to fill our mind with and set our sights on as we live in this place. One theologian said this, our feet must be on the earth, but our minds must be in heaven. I want us to evaluate this for a moment. I want us to think about all that we are involved in. When we say amen here today and we leave, as soon as Monday comes around, I want us to think about all the things that we are involved in and think about those things from a heavenly, eternal point of view. What is the heavenly point of your job? Have you ever thought about it? What is the eternal perspective of what you do for a living? Now, that's not a call for everybody to quit what you're doing and go into the ministry. It could be for somebody. But have you ever thought about what you do for a living and why in terms of setting your sights on the realities of heaven? We need doctors and lawyers and policemen. We need teachers. <coughs> we need coaches. We need fill-in-the-blank salesmen. Whatever you are, we need retired people. We need college students who believe in Jesus to do whatever we do for the glory of God and the good of man. Setting our sights on the realities of heaven, not just so that our life will count, but so that we'll, we will help others see something better and different than this, this old world. Does our conduct reflect a reverence for an eternal Savior? a holy God without any sin? Does the standard that we uphold to, the way that we talk, the way that we walk, how we interact with people, does that reflect that we are headed towards a God in the abode of heaven that is without sin and holy? Or does it reflect a good old boy living in the South? Do we care about the souls of people around the globe? If that is what heaven will be filled with, do we care about missions? Do we think it's for us? Do we understand it? Is there anything of eternal value in your schedule this week? Anything at all? How are your resources being used for the glory of God? What is our motive at the beginning of our day and at night when we get home? Y'all listen. At the end of the day, at the end of our life, the dollars and the trophies and the degrees and the accounts and the titles and the talents, it's for the glory of God that works for the good of man or it's for nothing at all. William Carey said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Romans chapter 6 verse 10 says, 
when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that Jesus lives, listen to this, but now that Jesus lives, he lives for the glory of God. The Bible goes on to say, so you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. To begin to close it down, Colossians goes on to say that your real life, Christians, your real life is hidden with Christ and God. Hidden, what does that mean? Hidden means that it is safe and secure from all alarm, as the hymn used to sing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or decay. Jesus said in John chapter 28, chapter 10, verse 28, that those who are given eternal life, no one can snatch them from the hand of God. You are protected. You are hidden in Christ. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter about a family member or friend that questions everything that you believe. It doesn't matter about a co-worker and how they will make you feel. It does not matter how you will deceive yourself. There is no power of hell, scheme of man, that can take away what you've got. You're hidden in Christ with God. And on the day when Jesus returns to make all of this new, we who believe, the Bible says, will share in all his glory. Y'all can't even understand that about myself. But what that means is, when the time is ready and Jesus stands up from the right hand of God the Father Almighty and he begins to make his way back to this earth to make things new and make things right, I'm going to be a part of his entourage. And when you see him... It's going to be undeserved privilege, but I'm going to be like, yep, that's right, I'm here too. <laughs> and I, I, when I think about that, it blows my mind because I'm not even supposed to be there. But what did we say? When we are in Christ, we are seen as Christ. We, we are holy and blameless, and we are a part of the glory because of God's goodness. I want you to notice this final verse, and we're out. Chapter 3, verse 5, the first part of that says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. So those things that just, they don't go away. They just keep on after you put them to death. Have a funeral every day. Speak God's truth over them and put them to death because we are to set our sights on the things that are realities of heaven and think about things of heaven and not earth. So the sinful things that would trip us up are the things that are to die every day so that we may represent a future place that we are headed with God and without the presence of sin. I played on a church softball team years ago, years ago, and it was made up of myself and some guys from our church and then some guys from about two or three other churches. So instead of us having a one church name on our shirt, we decided to call ourselves Heaven Bound. That's got a good religious ring to it, doesn't it? Heaven Bound. Well, in one of the games that we were playing against another team, another church, I rounded third and am coming home, and I didn't need to slide, so I just kind of sidestepped the catcher and hung my foot on home plate, and I raised up my arms to do so. Now, unbeknownst to me, I clipped the catcher in the back of the head. I did not know that I did that, and I did not find out until I am jogging back to the dugout, and one of my best friends in the world, with heaven bound on his shirt, 
is jogging past me towards the catcher. Because the catcher is upset. Understandably so. I just elbowed the man in the back of the head. As he is running after me, one of my best friends in the world is running straight towards him with his finger up like this. And be like, I'm going to tell you what. And I'm like, whoa! What? What is, what is happening? And now all of these folks that have got... <laughs> all of these folks that have got heaven bound on their jerseys are mad as heck. And before the world outside the fence, two church softball teams are having to be broken up by an umpire. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? We don't get ourselves into those kinds of situations every day, every day but we already know we can identify with something like that. The biggest draw to the gospel is the one that changes us to the point to where we don't live in the world like people think that we should. But we live in a way that shows that in our mind and in our heart and in our life, we live for a reality that is to come that is with God and without the presence of sin. When we have our head around that each day, it actually makes a difference in our day. When we have our mind set on the realities of heaven, it helps others to see the glory of God in our good works. I would ask you today as we close this to consider these two questions, these three questions really. One, how are these verses true in your life? How are they true? I guess the next question should be, how are they not? Because if they are not true in our life, I think this is the time right now to talk with the Lord about how they are not true in our life. Is your old life dead? Are you living the new life? Uh, a final question, as I've asked more than two or three, let me ask this final one. Do you need new life? Did you know God is still doing that? Did you know people are still getting saved? Their life is still being changed. God is still changing my life. He's still working on me. Did you know that God can do the same for you? Because the God in Jesus that sits beside the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, ain't laying in a casket. He's sitting on a throne. And that means that he's alive and the Spirit of God is still working. And he can change your status before God today just like that. Would you stand to your feet? <clears throat> and as you stand and as you think about all that we've talked about, I want you to know that this altar is open for you. If, if this is something that God has put on your heart that you need to get on your knees before a holy God this morning that we all need to do from time to time, just pass right on by us and come down here and talk to the Lord. There's something special about getting on your knees before God. If today, if, if you need to respond and you need to walk up to somebody and say, I need help, I need to be saved, I need to join the church, I need to be baptized, we're standing right here and we just want to help you. We just want to help you, I promise. There are other people here, if we'll wait around afterwards, you'd like to talk to us after, you contact us any way you want to. But let this time be a time of response from our heart to the Lord. 
Lord God, we thank you, O oh God, for everything that we've read in the Scripture. That you are alive, you sit at the right hand of God. And Lord, as we talk to you now through your sacrificial blood, God, we express thanksgiving and praise. God, we thank you for, Lord, the thought of us standing right before you one day will not happen outside of what you've done for us. So God, if there be one or many in here today that is wrestling with their identity, Lord, if they need hope, Father, if we need to repent of our sins, if we need to change things going on in our life, may right now during this invitation be a time where we meet with you. Lord, whether it be at our pew or at this altar, God, that we would be a church sensitive to your word so that we will live it out. We ask, oh God, that you guide us through this time of response and guide us through this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you.